Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Welcome to City Collective. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, but we're so grateful that you're spending the morning with us. We are in the middle of a series called Rhythms, and on this long weekend where there is this this obligation in some sort of rest, uh, that's what we're choosing to talk about. Because I think that there are normal and common things in our lives that we kind of take for granted and we don't understand how God is in the midst of those things and we, we segregate God to our Sunday morning gatherings or to our moments of prayer or to our moments of worship and we don't fully understand how God is actually in the midst of everything. So we talked about work in week one and uh, that was an important concept for us to engage with not to just be dreading work or looking at work is that thing that we have to go in to week in and week out and just live for the weekend, survive till Saturday, but it's actually an opportunity to experience God in the midst of our day-to-day, that God is in the midst of our work, that work is actually intended to be this holy space where we experience God. And so this week, we're into the idea of rest, and I feel like uh, as we've been going through this idea of, of rhythms in this series, uh, it's been like this exposition of my own life as I have been exposed over and over again of taking these common moments for granted. So if this is your first time here or if you're not really sure about what faith looks like or what this Christianity thing is or who Jesus is at all, let me just let you know that you're in good company. That Jesus didn't come for, for, the, for the fully healthy, for those that somehow have it all put together, that show up on a Sunday, that wear the nice clothes and have it all thought together and it makes perfect sense in their minds and they have no conflict in their life and no rhythm that seems to distract them. No, Jesus came for the sick, for the hurting, for the broken, for the real, authentic, honest people that we are that are stretching and are learning and are distracted by the rhythms of life on a daily basis. He comes for us. Us, he comes for you, he comes for me, and that's an incredible gift that we get to interact with today. And so, uh, wherever you find yourself, uh, I hope that you found this morning to already be a welcoming and accepting space for you already. But we're going to jump right into this conversation of rest. Last week we were in, or two weeks ago we were in Genesis chapter 1, and the idea of work was incorporated, and we're not going too much farther. We're just going to Genesis chapter 2 at the very beginning of the chapter, starting in verse 1, and it says this. You can follow along on the big screen in the sky. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on God rested, on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then we're going to jump to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11, and it says this, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." 
Is, th- is there something that you do that people around you, like, they know you by this? Uh, and I'm not talking about a job or, uh, let's say, a talent or a status that you might have. I'm talking about a habit that you have that people kind of know you by. And I, and I see like those like shame-filled light bulbs popping up across the room as we realize that we have these habits that people, people know us by and we're not really particularly proud about some of them. But there are sometimes bits of our life, our, our habits, our personalities, which we're trying to get better at, but still occasionally, rarely, sometimes we still fall short. And, and if I'm speaking honestly, and I should be speaking honestly because I'm at church, right? Uh, I have a confession that I find that um, punctuality is not my greatest character trait. And now, if you're looking at each other and you're saying, yeah, I knew that about Jason. So, come on, take it easy. <laughs> yeah, you've got your issues too. <laughs> I, uh, I'm aware of this weakness. And... I've had friends let me know about it. I've had these uh, quote-unquote friends tell me that they told people at their wedding that they were starting at 2.30 and they were actually going to start at 2.45 because they knew me. And I'm not bitter. I'm not holding it against them. Okay, I'm, I'm over it. Uh, I, and I've, I've had unneeded criticism in the past from those quote-unquote friends and I've I've played like the race card of saying I run on IST Indian Standard Time and and (laughs) I'm just running I'm just staying true to my roots and you can't you can't put like a societal problem upon me I'm just staying true to who I am just being authentic and and genuine and you know all the buzzwords right Uh, but sometimes the experiences that we have in terms of the areas that are habits, they, they lead us to some interesting places and we they provide some interesting experiences that we're not always prepared for or aware of. Uh, and for myself, just recently, I was invited to a wedding in Burnaby and with the comment from those quote-unquote friends fresh in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be ready and on time and ready to go to this wedding. So suit on, sh- shirt ironed, ready to go, in the car, show up, and at the church, we, we get there, and there's a lot of cars that are already in the parking lot. I'm like, okay, I'm an optimist. I'm like, yeah, people are just early. Maybe I need to be more like them. Just show up on time more often. And uh, we get out of the car, we make our way into the church, and we hear the pastor's already in the middle of the ceremony, and we look at the invitation, and we're like, oh, this thing started at 2 o'clock, not 2.30. All right. All right, <laughs> so this flood of anxiety washes over me, and then we go full Jack Bauer, cle- creep into the back of the auditorium, slink our way sheepishly into the back pew, join in in like the obligatory moments of a wedding when you laugh, when you clap, when you cry, you know, we just like felt like we were just getting into the rhythm of it, but five minutes went by, and they kissed the bride, and it was done. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't our finest moment, but there was this incredible vocalist at the end, and that's the only thing that actually made it on my social media that day. It wasn't anything to do with the bride or the groom. It was just this incredible vocalist. It was awesome. But uh, I digress, continued outside, 
went out to meet the bride and the groom, and the bride and the groom, so kind, so nice. We told them about all the parts of the ceremony that we loved and how great it was, and I was pretty sure that we got away with it. Jessica thought otherwise, and she's like, the bride absolutely knew that we showed up late. So you learn, and uh, I had to experience that all over again. But the idea of being late, it's like something that sometimes triggers this feeling of, of, of rush, of, of adrenaline, of emotion. Like, I, I set the clock in my car six minutes ahead so that I always feel like I'm in a rush. Like, I get that adrenaline pump as I'm driving, knowing that I got to get there on time. And then I got to do this, like, math in my head, and I have to be engaged, and I have to be present. And some of you are thinking, math, no, why? Again, car, driving, it's too much. I can't do it all at once. But it's, it's these experiences that we have. And I've learned to, like, negotiate with myself in these moments, but we have this, like, this propensity and this desire to, to like, hurry, to, to, to rush, to, to be busy. And, and busyness comes about in, like, many different forms. It's, like, procrastination. It's, it's double booking yourself. And even though you kind of are feeling bad about it, you feel kind of good about it because that means two people want to see you, right? Like, we, we have this, this desire to have this full and busy life. The, the sense of hurry is, is in everything that we do. And, and, and the truth is, is that we live in a culture that is addicted to hurry. And, and we want to rest, but we can't because the nicotine of achievement is just too tempting. And so we just give in, and busyness has become transformed from this idea of being a burden into actually something we boast about. I'm busy. I'm so busy. And then that's how we answer the question. That's how we communicate to the people about what we think about our week, what we think about ourselves. And, and honestly, in a culture where busyness is a trophy, it's how we're showing others how valuable we are. The busier you are, the more that you're doing, the more that you're actually contributing in the society around you. And when you don't feel particularly busy, maybe you slip in a little white lie of how much you're actually doing because then they might respect you. Then they might accept you. But deep down, in the midst of it all, our restless hearts, they long for a break. They long for peace, for quiet, for, for rest, for, for Sabbath. In, in the Bible, there's no mention of Sabbath until we get to the book of Exodus. Uh, and, and it says, remember the Sabbath day, which is to look back. And it says, to keep it holy, and it's to look forward. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Because if you've ever grown up in church or heard the idea of rest brought up in a Christian environment, the idea of Sabbath comes to the forefront. And Sabbath is this ancient Hebrew tradition of resting on the seventh day. And last time when we were together in, in our rhythm series, we talked about Genesis 1 and, and the idea of work. And this week when we're talking about Genesis 2 and the idea of rest, and it's, it's by the seventh day, God had finished the work that God had been doing, and on the seventh day, God rested from all the work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work of creating. So right from the start, 
Right from the very beginning, we have this biblical imagination of God at work and God at rest. And, and, I, and I love this idea of how, how God leans in and how God leans back. And that God is not static and he's not one note, but God has this rhythm that he enjoys and he invites us into. And, and there's this line where it says that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested. And, and this is fascinating because the word because is actually this, this word key in the Hebrew which can be translated when. And so if you were to like just slightly shift it and, and use that translation, you could actually say that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy when he rested. And, and I, I really like this idea because it, it's as if it's saying that the simple act of resting somehow made this day holy. And that works in my mind because the, the word holy is this, this word kadesh which in the Hebrew, which means to, to be set apart, to, to be different. So it's as if it's saying that the only thing that made the day holy is because in the midst of this week where God is working, he chooses to be different on this seventh day. But it's not holy if the work doesn't happen and the work isn't holy if the rest doesn't happen because they need to be different. There has to be this interplay and this, this rhythm to it. And God is, is showing us in this opening story that work and rest, they have this rhythm to them. And they have this beautiful relationship that when tied together actually provide us the opportunity to have the fullness of life. And Maybe you're like me, and you have found that work and rest don't always fit particularly well together. That they can actually be in conflict to one another more often than not. And perhaps you're like myself, and you take pleasure about the idea of, of being busy, about getting things done, and rest can actually feel a little bit like a, a distraction in your day. It's like I'll rest when I'm dead kind of mentality. But right from the start of the story, we have this dynamic, dependent relationship between work and between rest, and that they need each other. That work is holy because God works, and, and rest is holy because God rests. So that's the idea of the story of how the Sabbath kind of originates. But we see the original verse in the book of Exodus, and it's given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai in the Ten Commandments. But then it's reiterated again a little bit later. And it's done so in Deuteronomy 5, verses 15. And it says this, but it says it in a slightly different flavor. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And, and, I, and I read this statement, and it almost seems cruel, because why is God reminding ex-slaves not to go back to slavery? I think in a lot of ways, Israel suffers from what we suffer from, and it's amnesia of what we've actually experienced in life. In, in Egypt, the Hebrews were slaves. 
And slaves, slaves don't get a Sabbath. And slaves, they're, they're something less than human. A commodity to, to buy and to sell. And they only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day, until they die. Rest is not an option for a slave. Rest is a byproduct of freedom. And if there's no freedom, there is no rest. And there's this language about endless work and restlessness that's strung all throughout the Exodus story. In one chapter, it says, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. You're stopping them from working. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. Lazy, that's what you are. You're lazy. And that's just one chapter. And this is Pharaoh communicating over and over and over again that work is your value. That's all you provide to the world. And he's implacable and he's relentless. And no matter how much you produce, it's never enough. And you live under this ominous shadow of the daily quota. More, more, more. And it wasn't just Pharaoh that was screaming for more. It was the economic system at the time. It was Israel wasn't just making bricks. It was making bricks for a supply city. And the truth is that Pharaoh is alive and well in our world today. It's that guilty feeling in your gut, that voice in the back of your head screaming at you that you need to work harder, you need to work faster, you need to work longer, that you need to produce, you need to produce, you need to produce, and you're only as good as your daily quota. And it's not just Pharaoh's ghost that's haunting our world, but it's like this psychological waterboarding that we go through in, on a daily basis. And his economic system is still thriving all around us, and we don't call it Egypt. But we call it capitalism, we call it free trade, we call it consumerism, we call it Black Friday, we call it 0.7% financing. And it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. You can't drive down the road or stand in a grocery store or open up your computer without Egypt screaming at you, get more, own more, do more, who cares where it came from? Who cares who gets pushed to the side along the way? Who cares what it really does on the inside of you? You work hard. You deserve more. You don't have enough. And in Exodus, the idea of rest points back to that creation story. And it's this replication of how God has modeled it. But in Deuteronomy... Rest has evolved to become a necessary antidote to our fixation with achievement. Rest is a necessary antidote to our fixation with what we can achieve. Because isn't it the truth that we find so much of our value in what we do? That the work we do dictates our value that we carry about ourselves. But, but rest was never about the absence of work. It was about the discovery of value. And, and we go through our day-to-day -day experience of rest 
believing that if we're not doing our work, we are somehow resting. But how many of you have gone on a vacation and returned and felt like as if you need another vacation? That it wasn't this actual space where you were discovering rest because the entire time you're thinking about the work that you need to be doing back home because your mind had not disassociated the value that you carry, about, carry for yourself from your workplace that your mind was still there all the time and therefore your value was still in the things you do. And that is exhausting. And that is bondage. And there is no freedom in that. We make up here in Canada about 2.45% of the global economy, even though we only have about 0.5% of the world's population. 12 Vancouver's alone, they put out over $1 trillion a year, and that's more than, in the, than the entire GDP of Indonesia. And Indonesia is 110 times larger than, than Vancouver. One economist, he gave this explanation, and he says it very proudly, but it's fascinating. He says that's a, that's a testament to the superior world-class productivity and hustle that we have here in North America. Elevating the idea of busyness and of hurry and saying as if our value as society is because we get things done. And if that's a societal value, how often does that become a personal value? We correlate busyness with impact, and therefore exhaustion means fulfillment. I pushed myself to my limit, and therefore I gave all that I had, and therefore I did something that was worthwhile. And if I don't do that, I'm not being me. And we become a slave to busyness all over again. And rest is simply a day we are wasting from finding fulfillment. But rest is this interesting thing where it kind of exposes who is God in your life. And I'm not even saying like the idols that we have around us because we've got a lot of those, the different things that we give our attention to. I think we actually make ourselves God more often than not because we're the only ones who can get it done. But rest is acknowledging that there is a God and it's not me. It's a byproduct of true freedom in our lives. Are you held by your captives? Are you held captive by your metrics of achievement? Those things in your mind that you feel are correlated with your success and therefore you wake up in the morning, you go to bed at night and you go to work and you come home and in the midst of it all, all you're thinking about is how can I check that box, fill that bank account, build that house, get the material possession that we've been so striving for over and over and over again that we're consumed by and success is tied directly into that. But God invites us into this rhythm 
an interplay of work and of rest. And when we don't accept this invitation of discovering what rest really is, is this place where we discover value, we reap the consequences. And this is just honest. Fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, busyness, starved relationships, worn down immune systems, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. These are all signs of a life without rest. And when God gives the Ten Commandments, it's really interesting that he gives those Ten Commandments and the one that he spends the most time talking about is this one that talks about Sabbath. Why? Because we need it. We need to learn how to rest. You need to learn to find that rhythm of rest in your life. And it, and it has to be holy in the, in the sense it has to be set apart. It has to be different. It has to be intentional. And this does not mean that I'm saying that you now have to, you now have to go home and like set aside an hour every day where you are specifically praying through the rosary and you're going through all these specific ideas and thoughts. But what if you were to specifically set five minutes, three minutes, one minute every day where you are recentering your, re yourself around the person of Jesus and you are saying, my value is not found in what I do. My value is found in who you are. What would that do to your thinking? What would that do to your interactions? What would that do to your heart? Because so often when we don't pause, when we don't have silence and solitude and stillness in our life, the busyness of our world just overwhelms us to the point that we come to the conclusion that I'm the only one that can save myself. And, and we treat rest as this time of, of recovery to go back to work. I need a rest so I can be better next week. I need a rest so I can, I can do a better job in my workplace. I need a rest so I can do something, do something, do something. And rest simply becomes this middle ground between your moments of work instead of this holy moment where you get to discover your value anew. In Matthew 11, verses 28 to 29, it says this. It says, then Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I, when I read the word uh, yoke, yoke doesn't give me this nice feeling. It feels like something that would be like burdening me, holding me back, keeping me back from my full potential in some ways, as if I'm restricted in some way. But in, in ancient times, ancient Hebrew uh, rabbis, what they would do is they would use this idea of the yoke to talk about joining with the, the teacher that you're learning from. And the idea of the yoke for them was being yoked to the law, to the, to the law of doing to be accepted. And then Jesus comes in and he flips the script and he says, but I want you to take my yoke. But my, my yoke, it isn't, he it, it isn't heavy. It's not a burden. It's actually going to be light. Because when you're, when you're yoked with me, we're going to be actually able to do it together because what farmers would do is they wouldn't buy two high-priced animals to pull and, and be yoked together. 
They would, they would buy one and they would buy a younger one. And they would buy the yoke and they would yoke the two together and then the one strong one would lead the way and, and the younger one would push and would pull and would maybe resist and feel that separation and want to go at its own speed and be like, there's a better way. I can go faster. I can do this quicker. I can be better than you, old man. And then the, young, then the one that has a little bit of experience, the one that has the idea of how to actually do this with a sense of actual fulfillment. Sets the pace. Sets the rhythm. And slowly, that yoke becomes this invitation to rhythm and this invitation to pace. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, come to me. Hear my heart. Hear my voice. Experience my love. And understand that the pace that you're running at is not one that is going to be sustainable. Come and discover a rhythm of what your life would look like when you run with me. When you walk with me. In Genesis, it was, rest was this idea that modeled the idea of that God rested on the seventh day. And it provides this beautiful model of what it means to rest. In, in Deuteronomy, it's this idea that, that rest is not just the idea of the absence of work, but it's this actual defiant nature saying that I am not going to be bound by the value of my work, but I'm going to use my rest to discover my value in God. And then Jesus says, yes, find rest there in the model that God provided and understand that your value is not found in your work but know that I do not leave you to find rest alone but I want you to find rest with me that you're not isolated and left to your own doings but I invite you to actually discover rest alongside me so what does what does rest really look like because it's nice to talk about the concept of rest but what does rest really look like and I don't think that there is like a specific formula that is going to be a broad brush that everyone experiences rest the same way but I think rest has less to do with the action and more to do with what your, where your mind goes in that moment of rest do you actually have the ability to separate the work that you do from your moment of rest? Because if we are constantly fixated on the idea of work, that is going to be the only place that we find value. You, you can't simply luck into the kind of rest that God imagines for you. Because rest is about diving into this imagination for where your value comes from, from where your hope is placed. And when your time is incessantly full with work, with appointments, with workouts, with laptops, with TV shows, with, with Netflix, with chill, and however we have thought about rest before, you will still inev inevitably find yourself back to believing that what you do gives you value. But when you rest, 
not simply as a break, but as a defiant statement that instills your value in the person of Jesus Christ and in his rhythm. This is your act of resistance against that feeling that desperately wants you to earn your place at the table. Because the story of Jesus, the story of grace, is that you are loved for everything that you offer. And you are equally loved for everything that you don't. And that is the story of Jesus. And that is what we discover in the midst of rest. And that is when we come to truly know who he is and who we are. Rest is an incredible invitation to discover, to, to know yourself and to know God. That Jesus, he humbled himself and he came not just to stay above and to be separate. He didn't come to rush through life. He didn't come to rush through his existence here on the earth, but he, he comes at this pace that's really beautiful. There's this Japanese theologian and, and he talks about the idea of how fast we move normally as humans, that we normally actually go at, at three miles an hour if we're just walking at a normal pace. And, and he says this really beautifully, that he says that the three-mile-hour, we have a three-mile-an-hour God, that that's the pace of love, that that's the rhythm of love, that it slows down, that it's slow enough to see the world that we're in, to see the people around us, to understand our own struggle and not hold ourselves hostage to our, our craving for busyness. That there's a rhythm to our story. The context in which most of us are moving is like this urban, suburban, fast-paced lifestyle with its noise, with its hustle, and with its bustle, with its dominant, impersonal relationships that we have. And we no longer see one another with faces, but as numbers and replaceable units in productive systems. But the world needs people who are moving at a new rhythm. Slow enough to weep with those who are weeping, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. People who are moving slowly enough to notice smiles of joy and tears of sorrow. People who are moving slowly enough to reach out to those in pain, to comfort those in suffering, and to offer hope to those in despair. And if you're here today and you are exhausted by life and you are beat up by the circumstances all around you and you are running out of steam and you are feeling in a perpetual state of exhaustion, there's the beautiful invitation that Jesus says and he says, come to me and I will give you rest. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. that your value is not found in what you do and what you offer to the world. Your value is found simply in the fact 
that he loves you and he loves you unconditionally. So perhaps the question this morning for you is, is that enough? Will you let that be enough? Will you relinquish this this grip that you have upon value being on what you do? And will you allow rest to be a place that you invite into the rhythm of your life to discover on a daily basis that your value is found in Jesus alone? Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you weren't a separate divine being that is so far from our existence, but that you sent your son Jesus to experience what it means to be human, to experience our hurt and our struggle, our joys and our celebrations, to walk at the pace of love, to walk at that pace of what it means to be human. To show us that our value is not found in the things that we do, but our value is found directly in you. So for every person that's here this morning, for anyone that does not know about this idea of love and this unconditional love that's given to us through your son Jesus, that it is this gift freely given so that we might experience life and life to its fullest. I pray that you would meet us in that right now. And for those of us this morning who are exhausted by life and rest feels like an impossibility and it even invokes this sense of shame because you see other people around you working so hard And therefore, the idea of taking a rest makes you feel like you're lesser than, that you're somehow copping out, you're not good enough. There's freedom from those chains that are holding you down in bondage, saying that all that you are is found in what you do. No, there is freedom in simply knowing that you are loved, not simply for what you offer, but you're equally so in what you don't. So for those hearts that are burdened, just be with them and let them turn to you. Thank you that your gift of grace is always invading and interrupting the busyness of our life. Thank you that work is your idea, but thank you that we need rest to make work right. So we give you all the glory and all the praise. We're so grateful that we get to encounter you this morning. I pray that we would just discover you and you this week. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.